Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. The book of 1 John was a mystery to me for many years for two reasons. I want to tell you what they are in this podcast and show you what I've been learning recently about this mysterious epistle near the end of the New Testament. Before we plunge in, I want to take a moment to let you know that the author of 1 John also wrote another book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, and that's the subject of a book of my own. I'm happy to say that the 50 final events in world history, which is my study of the book of Revelation, is now available in inexpensive paperback format. You can find it on Amazon or wherever you get your books, and it's affordable for small group use. I want to encourage you to study the book of Revelation in your Bible study and in your Bible study group using the 50 final events in world history. You'll find that the last book of the Bible isn't as difficult as you think it is, and how important it is in these days for us to understand the book of Revelation. So check on my book, The 50 Final Events in World History. The writer of Revelation was prolific. His name was John, the Apostle John. He wrote the Gospel of John, the three letters ascribed to him, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and this book of Revelation. In last week's podcast, I delved into his background and personality, and in today's podcast, I want to do the same for this little epistle of 1 John. As I said earlier, this book was a mystery to me for many years for two reasons. First, I believed then, and I still do, that the New Testament is a progressive curriculum in Christ's school of discipleship. It begins with the simplicity of the evangelistic book of Matthew, and then we have Mark, Luke, and John, and then we come increasingly into the epistles, and we finally end up with this more difficult book of Revelation. As in any school, the material builds on what comes before it, and it grows progressively deeper. Well, since 1 John is near the end of the Bible, it represents some of the deepest teachings of the New Testament. And yet the Greek text of 1 John is so simple that it's often the first part of the Bible that Greek students are assigned to translate as they begin their studies. The words and language are very simple, and yet the content of the book is very challenging. And that dichotomy confused me. Here's the second reason why John has been a mystery to me. For many years, I was unable to find any plan or pattern to this book. It just seemed to go around in circles, and it was very hard for me to figure out what this book was really about. Any one single sentence made sense to me, but trying to put the sentences in any kind of arrangement just gave me headaches. It wasn't helped by the fact that my favorite professor in Bible college, who was the greatest analyst of Scripture that I've ever known, said there is no observable plan to First John. 
and I found that view was very prevalent in the commentaries. So to me, 1 John became the hardest book in the New Testament to get my head around, but I kept reading it and studying it, and I've done so year after year, and then a couple of things happened. First, I began to actually detect divisions in the content, and I started to see an actual plan and organization to the book. And then secondly, I found a commentary by Dr. Colin Cruz. His name is spelled K-R-U-S-E. This commentary is part of the Pillar New Testament Commentary Series, and Dr. Cruz is an emeritus scholar of the Melbourne School of Theology in Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Cruz presented something that I'd never before considered, and it has changed the way that I think about 1 John. Finding a plan to the book and then reading the insights of Dr. Cruz has opened up this little epistle to me in a fresh and in really a very exciting way. So in this podcast today and in the following weeks, I want to share with you the background and then the contents of the book of 1 John. I'll add today some quotes from Dr. Cruz, but also my own observations, and I think that we'll find that the key to understanding this little book of five chapters is found here in chapter 2 and verse 19. So if you have your Bible available, turn with me to 1 John, not the Gospel of John, but 1 John near the end of the New Testament, chapter 2 and verse 19. John wrote these words. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. So that gives us an idea as to why John wrote this epistle. Dr. Colin Cruz wrote a sentence in his commentary that really opened my eyes to 1 John more than anything else that I've ever read. Here is his sentence. He said, anyone seeking to make sense of the letters of John, that is 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, needs to have a working hypothesis concerning the events that lay behind them. In other words, what set of circumstances caused John to write these letters? By this time, he was an old man, the bishop in the city of Ephesus, who oversaw a community of churches in what today we would call Eastern Turkey. He was the last surviving apostle. His brother James was dead. Peter and Paul were dead. All of the original apostles by now had been killed, and John alone was left. He was laboring as hard as ever in his old age among the churches, but something happened that caused him to stop what he was doing and to urgently write this letter of 1 John. Based on the verse I read a few moments ago, it was precipitated by the desertion of large numbers of people from John's churches. Now, let's read this passage again. I'm going to begin at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18. He said, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us. In other words, a lot of people have left us. 
but they did not really belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Now, this really is the key to understanding the background of the book. So John said here, in effect, a lot of people have left us. They have left our churches and their propaganda has made you feel like you're foolish for not going with them. Some of you feel hurt and troubled and unsure of yourself and your beliefs. But the fact is, you are the one that is right, and you are the ones who have the truth. Not only were the people leaving the churches that precipitated this letter, but they were trying to take as many people with them as they could. They were sowing doubts among those who remained. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 26, a little further down the column says, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. And again in chapter 3, verse 7, he says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. John was writing these things to the people who had stayed in the churches, and he was saying to them in essence, here is the message of 1 John I want to tell you something. These people who have been streaming out of our churches never really belong to us to begin with. They have an anti-Christ spirit. They are wrong, and you are right, and you shouldn't feel like second-class citizens. You are the ones who know the Lord and have eternal life, and you are right, and the others are wrong. Now, that's the message of this book. He was reassuring those who had remained in the churches that they had chosen the right set of convictions to hold. So that brings up the great question behind this epistle. What then had happened? What had happened that had caused so many people to defect from John's churches? Let's say, and I'm just speculating, but a particular congregation in some area of Ephesus that had 100 on an average Sunday a year ago, now had only 75. A church maybe somewhere in the suburbs of Ephesus that had 75 people now had only 50 people. Now, for a pastor, that's a very challenging thing. When I was a pastor, I looked at the attendance figures every week to see if we were growing or declining or stagnant. And if we were growing, I felt very thankful about that. If we were down in numbers, that just provoked anxiety. I think it does to every pastor. I wanted to be winning more and more people and serving more and more people. I never experienced, thankfully, a situation in which large numbers of people left the church in a wave of defections, but I have seen that happen, and it's very troubling. And it wasn't just happening here at one church. It was happening to churches all across John's zone of ministry. So here he was, the last surviving apostles, and his churches were not growing, they were declining. People were leaving in significant numbers, and the ones who stayed now wondered if they should go too. So were the successionists right? Were the defectors right? And were those who remained foolish to continue to listen to an old man who is well past his prime and according to some, too weak and senile to lead the church. So that was the situation. 
But of course, that raises a further question. Why exactly were these people leaving? What had precipitated the crisis, which caused John to have to write 1 John in order to reassure those who remained? Well, as we read through 1 John over and over, we realize that it had to do with the identity and the person of Jesus Christ. The one thing that John stressed throughout this epistle is the twofold nature of Jesus Christ as being both God and man, both divine and human. So in chapter 1, he says, he begins the book by saying, that which was from the beginning, referring to Christ, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. This life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. This is rather similar to the way that he begins the Gospel of John. In chapter 2, he said, beginning in verse 20, But you, those of you who have remained in the churches, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write this to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, such a person as the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. In other words, John was saying there, I am not writing to you because you are wrong and need to be corrected. I am writing to you because you are correct and need to be affirmed. The one who left, those who left us are the ones who need to be corrected. And he says in chapter 3, this is his command to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. And in chapter 4, he says in verse 1, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. And then in chapter 5, verse 20, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So throughout this entire book, John stresses the identity of Jesus Christ as being the great dividing uh, issue in the church that separates those who remained from those who left. So, something had happened. Something had happened that had precipitated a crisis in the churches of Asia Minor, and droves of people were reacting to that crisis by leaving the church, and the point of the controversy somehow has to do with the identity of Christ Jesus. That's All of that seems to me to be self-evident. So then that brings up a further question. What then had precipitated this crisis? Exactly what had happened to spark this issue? Why 
had it come up. And that's where Dr. Colin Cruz filled in some huge blanks for me with his hypothesis. Here is what he said in his commentary. Anyone seeking to make sense of the letters of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, needs to have a working hypothesis concerning the events that lie behind them. The following scenario proceeds from an assumption that there is a very close relationship between the fourth gospel and the three letters of John. Well, anybody who reads the Gospel of John and the First John knows that there is a close association between those two books, so we can take that as a given. The three letters of John were written after and because of the publication of the Gospel of John. Now, let me say that again. The three letters of John were written after and because of the publication of the Gospel of John, which was the last of the four Gospels to be published. As I say, John was the last survivor among the apostles. He had read the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke, and he evidently said to himself, in essence, those three Gospels are similar to one another, and all of them are very good and they're very true, but I have some stories that they left out. And there is one big truth I want to emphasize even more than they did. I want to make it clear to everyone and for all of the ages that Jesus Christ was both truly God and truly man. He is and was and always will be both God and man. And so he wrote his gospel, or perhaps as Dr. Cruz believes, he wrote an early draft or version of his gospel, and he published it. And it was the publishing and circulation of John's gospel that caused the reaction. Dr. Cruz wrote, and I'm quoting now from his commentary, Sometime after the writing of this early form of the gospel, difficulties arose within this community. Some of the members had taken on board certain beliefs about the person and work of Christ that were unacceptable to the author of the letters and to those associated with him. Those beliefs involved a denial that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, come in flesh, and that his death was necessary for the forgiveness of sins. A sharp disagreement arose which resulted in the succession or departure of those who embraced the new views. Dr. Cruz went on to say, the successionists or the false teachers were not content to keep their beliefs to themselves, their heretical views about Christ. Instead, they organized a group of itinerant preachers who circulated among the churches and propagated their beliefs with a view toward winning people over to their understanding of things. This created confusion among those who remained loyal to the gospel as it had been proclaimed from the beginning, the gospel that had come down from the eyewitnesses. As a result of the confusion, these believers began to question whether they really did know God, whether they really were experiencing eternal life, and whether they really were in the truth. The primary concern of this author, John, and 1 John was to bolster the assurance of such people by providing them with a clear description of the gospel message that they had received from the beginning. Dr. Collin went on to say, he also provided them with criteria they could use to evaluate the false claims being made by the secessionists and with 
which they could reassure themselves that they were in the truth. Now, if you'll think about this hypothesis, you'll see it reflected through the book of 1 John. Let me just summarize. Here, Dr. Colin Cruz is suggesting that there was some confusion about the identity of Jesus Christ, and John wrote his gospel, which presented Jesus Christ unequivocally as both God and man. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he sent it abroad, and that created such a reaction among those who didn't really believe in John's views about Christ that they began leaving the church. And they said to the people who remained, John was a great man, but now he is old and senile, and he's mistaken in these things. And you, if you stay in the churches and believe what he's saying, then you are believing a bunch of mistakes that are coming out of the mind of a senile old man. And so they left the church, and the people who were left behind after the publication of the Gospel of John were on the defensive. And so John quickly wrote this letter of 1 John, as well as 2 and 3 John, to comfort and to instruct those who had remained true in the churches. So I think you see this reflected, for example, in the first paragraph of chapter 4 of 1 John. Look with me at 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. They've left the churches, in other words, and they've gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit or everyone that recognizes that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But everyone who does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So there you have it pretty clearly. Now, Dr. Cruz goes on to say that about the same time that this circular letter was written, John wrote those two other shorter letters to the churches. Second John is a brief letter to one of the churches warning it not to entertain false teachers. And third John is to a man in another church commending him for entertaining the true teachers which had been sent from John. So this seems to provide the background that sparked the occasion for the writing of these three letters. John published his gospel. It was not well received by people, and some of the people who reacted to it left the church. The ones who were left behind felt insecure, and so John wrote to them saying, in essence, you are right, they are wrong. So here is one other thing. When John published his gospel, or that early version of it that Dr. Cruz suggests, and it provoked the kind of reaction that caused people to leave the church. The secessionists were loud and defiant. They bullied these remaining Christians and made them feel insecure in their faith. The remaining Christians were shell-shocked 
and they lost a sense of assurance. I don't know if you have ever been part of a major disagreement in a church, but it is very painful. For the Christian, having a good church is like having a close family. We are fellow pilgrims on earth, and we're surrounded by a hostile world. And when we're at church, we are meeting with Jesus Christ and with his children. It should be one of the most glorious things we ever do. When someone throws a grenade into this fellowship, it does a lot of damage. So the remaining Christians, those who remain true to John, were damaged. Some of them were wondering, are we really right? Do we really understand things correctly? Do the secessionists have a point? They seem so sure of themselves. How do we really know? Well, that's the purpose of 1 John, to reassure us who remain faithful to Christ that we are, in fact, correct, true, saved, and bound for heaven. This is a book intending to give us full assurance. This is the word of 1 John, in my words, I mean, if I had to summarize what John is saying here, this is what I would say. They are wrong. The whole world is wrong. We are right. Don't be deceived. Don't be intimidated. We know Jesus Christ, and we know that we know him, and we know that in knowing him, we have eternal life. Now, that's the great theme and subject that runs through the whole book of 1 John. The last verse of the book sums it up. 1 John 5, verse 20. We also know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God, and he is eternal life. Well, that gives us some background and overall understanding of the book of 1 John. In a few weeks, we will really dig into this epistle and begin studying it passage by passage, but it helps, doesn't it, to have the background and some understanding of the author and the purpose of it in our minds as we do it, and it's such a joy to be able to study this along with you. Thank you for digging into the riches of the Bible with me. And please remember to check out the paperback edition of my book, The 50 Final Events in World History. This episode was produced by Joshua Rowe and the marketing company, Clearly Media. Recording, engineering, and audio editing is by Jared Brummett. Editorial supervision is by Sherry Anderson. And Luke Tyler takes each of these episodes, condenses them, adds an opening outline, and posts them as blogs on my website at robertjmorgan.com, where you can find many other resources. Music is by Jordan Davis. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and may God be with you until we meet again.